Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Takeaways. The first takeaway is good for the NFL. The NFL is just fine. Can we just take a step back and realize that the NFL got through this season pretty much, the fantasy season, with no canceled games, no crazy incidents? We got through it, and, and the football's been good. It's been largely good. It's been pretty good. It's been okay. <laughs> no, we had we had. Ravens barely beating the Ravens. That was a great game. Rams-Ravens 2019. Final second field goal for the Bengals-Chiefs. That was one of the games of the year. We sort of take the NFL for granted that it's going to just power through whatever challenges come up. But this is important to think about that we made it. And it's only going to get better. Next year, whatever COVID protocols are in place will likely be easier to manage for everybody expectations fewer players missing games is my guess and yet still the quality of football so good so good and it's amazing I mean look at Joe Burrow Joe Burrow is like elite now like he's like hey listen guys every week 400 yards there it is right and the Chiefs aren't a soft secondary right this that's not no they've been playing great the Chiefs have been awesome the defense has been improving They've been getting to the passer, and yet the Bengals just shrugged it off. And and now we have a a showdown next week, Chargers Raiders to see who may winner gets in, see who makes the playoffs. Winner gets in. So that that was uh, really bad news for the Steelers that the the Raiders won. Right. So the the the, the Steelers were like, oh, the Raiders won. God damn it! The Chargers won. The Raiders won. We're screwed. We are screwed. Oh, the Colts lost. So what? You know, we're, we're, it's, we, how are we going to catch them? Right. So it'll be very interesting to see how the Steelers react to having their win probability tanked. The Steelers' probability of making the playoffs has crashed to four percent. I knew it. I knew it was much lower. It was cut at least in half, and it's actually lower than I even thought it was. Four percent, because the Ravens lose their win probability falls to 2%, and it's basically Chargers-Raiders 53 and 55% chance of making the playoffs respectively. And there is this scenario where the Colts lose, the Steelers win out. I think that's how the Steelers somehow get in, but it's pretty much Chargers-Raiders. Like that, that, that's, that's really the only question, right? Of, of all the other teams, Dolphins eliminated... Browns eliminated, Broncos eliminated, Washington football team eliminated, Vikings eliminated. The Saints have a 35% chance, so the Saints are still in it. It's Saints or 49ers. We'll see, 
right? So the Saints game has meaning, the 49ers game has meaning, and then this Raiders-Chargers game has meaning. So this was really the last week where there's going to be a ton of meaning. I think this is what happens when you extend the schedule that inevitably the final week of the season will have less meaning the more games you have. It's like the final week of the NBA season, the final day of NBA games matters for like two teams, right? That's the same thing we're seeing here. So that's that's what it is. So they're going to go to an 18-game season eventually, and then the, the these games will be even less meaningful. But let's just remember Week 17 was very exciting. There was a, a chance that Dak Prescott could get the ball back and that they could drive down and, and, and they could win the game. Cowboys-Cardinals was an exciting game. Cowboys come back, score 15 points in the fourth quarter. That was cool. The Texans were up at the half against the 49ers. They had to come back. I mean, I was sweating because on the Starter Stream show, the the thrust of the Starter Stream show was you play Trey Lance this week. You play Trey Lance over Matthew Stafford. And it was just, I was like, wait, I don't know. It was like, should we play Trey Lance over Kyler Murray? And I said, sure. Right. I mean, it turns out they had very similar stat lines, but woof, right? All those fantasy points came in the second half. That's just the thing. Like, you go to bed thinking, oh, Player X is going to have all these fantasy points when I wake up, like Aaron Rodgers, and then he doesn't score any more points. Sometimes you go to bed thinking, oh, I'm fucked. Oh, this, this sucks. Or you, you walk away from the television, you go do something else, you come back, like, oh, oh, Trey Lance, he got there in the second half. Thank God. Thank God. Where the Packers are just like, you know what? We're going to shut this down. Sean Mannion, he's not a threat. We're just going to run A.J. Dillon. That'll be fine. That'll, that'll be fine. That'll be fine. So the, the first takeaway, we're going to go rat-a-tat-tat down the board. Ten exact takeaways. So the first takeaway, with the reveal sound effect, okay? First takeaway is the NFL is doing great. I love that sound effect. Every time I hear it, I'm like, oh, that sounds good. I should do it more. I should, we're going to do more sound effects this year. This year is going to be a big sound effect season, 2022. We're already planning a lot of things. There's going to be more sound effects. I, I fully came around. Those of you that tune into the Starter Stream show on YouTube or Facebook Live, Instagram, TikTok, those are the platforms we do it. 11 a.m., Sundays, I stream this show, and for weeks, pretty much the whole season, I resented the show. I didn't want to be pulled away from my family at 11 a.m. I wanted to be at brunch. You know I'm a brunch guy. So I was like, this is robbing me of my brunch for weeks. And I was just bitter, and, and I was taking it out on the audience. I was like, you should be running your own fantasy team. Why am I even here? This is lame. You're lame. I'm lame. We're all lame together. That we're any of us are here right now is lame. And then something happened. Something happened yesterday when I started engage and it was just taking Austin Eckler's advice, engaging the audience, and talking things through. And it, it, I actually got excited about some of these questions people were asking. I was like, these are some really good start sit questions. I'm actually like, this is an interesting question. Let's dive into this. And not only is is player X or player Y interesting, but player X or player Z is also interesting. This is something we can dive into. And I myself finally got engaged in the show. So almost every conversation 
by people on YouTube is how do we get the audience engaged? How do we increase our subscribers and how do we get more engagement and more time watching the channel and all these metrics, blah, blah, blah. No one ever talks about getting the host more engaged, right? But that's actually what happened. I was like, I think I like this show. I think it's taken me all year, but I'm finally liking this show. I think this is, this is actually a fun show to do if you have the right attitude. And it took me all season to finally have the right attitude. I think it was because I was in a bunch of championship games and I was excited and I was enthusiastic and it didn't feel like a grind anymore or at the end of the season. I don't know. Whatever it is, I could tell you this. We're going to be doing more streaming shows that are just improvisational. That's what today is. Today the season's over. Fantasy season's over. There's nothing at stake. We're just talking about the games. I had no preparation, no notes. Usually I talk to Cody Carpentier about all the, you know, the usage trends that he was seeing, snap shares. I didn't do I didn't do anything. I didn't do any prep. I did watch the games periodically. I was paying attention because I was looking at my fantasy scoreboards. So th this is worst case scenario for the top 10 takeaways in that I'm aware of the games and what happened, but I also don't have any in-depth analysis. So either I bring the in-depth analysis or we reveal the games for the first time, and it's just fun to see someone react to the outcomes of the games for the first time. We're not doing either of those things. This is just a very laid-back, casual show. We're going to try to get through 10 takeaways. We have one, and that, that, that it's a very in-depth and insightful takeaway that the NFL is doing great. And that's it. That's, that's all we have so far. But we're going we're gonna to keep going with takeaways. We're going to keep going. We're going to have so many games to look at. Bills Falcons, Kyle Pitts, 69 yards, which was just great. I mean, that's really, really nice. And he did it on only two catches. So he had a, a, a long catch of 61 yards. So it was a long, deep catch from, from Kyle Pitts. And we're just seeing what a phenom tight end looks like. And in the back of my head, I was like, you know what? I loved stacking Josh Allen with uh, Kyle Pitts this week. And Josh Allen got there with rushing, but he had the three picks and, and pretty bad as a thrower, 11 for 26. So he wasn't the right play in DFS, but it looked like a strong play on paper. The move was Burrow Chase, right? You had to have Burrow Chase this week. That was the stack. Well, that's a takeaway. That definitely counts as a takeaway. I mean, it's the obvious takeaway of the week, but we're going to count that. Needed Burrow Chase. Allen Pitts didn't work, right? Didn't work. But at least it was better than than Allen Gage or Allen Patterson. I didn't like those. I just said, listen, Allen, Allen Pitts, right? You could stack with Diggs, stack with 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 Davis. None of that worked, right? You could stack with Singletary. That that we did. We did. We actually ran through. Did a quick video for the DFS Dominator, uh, where you pick your quarterback. And then you pick two players and you can choose in the settings whether or not your quarterback is allowed to be stacked with his running back or not. And is he allowed to be stacked with his tight end or not? And I said, well, he is allowed to be stacked with Singletary, but not with Knox because we're trying to force in pits. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna have pits on the run back. And it didn't work. But Devin Singletary, wow, just force-fed carries 23 carries 110 yards Zach Moss was more efficient with his carries 
but he didn't get the volume. And one of the lessons from the Stardust Dream show is that it's not who got you there, it's who projects better. The best example was playing Trey Lance over Matthew Stafford. And I don't even know who scored more fantasy points. I mean, Matthew Stafford maybe scored more fantasy points. I don't know. It was close. It was close. Stafford went over 300 yards with two touchdowns, but then Trey Lance had some rushing, so I think it all canceled out. I think they're about equal. But Trey Lance projected better. Uh, he had more upside. So we lean into the volatility. You lean into the uncertainty, and you play guys not based on who got you there, but who has more upside that particular week based on the game environment and, and all the things that get factored into our weekly projections. Josh Larkey is just a revelation. The quality of our rankings and projections this year was so incredible. And I'm so proud of Josh at a job well done. I mean, the reliability, but also the quality. And most importantly, for someone that's doing a streaming show on Sunday morning is that he's updating them constantly. Like he was always updating based on who's in, who's out. And I mean, this was the most challenging season we'll ever see for players in and out of the lineup prior to the game. Like who is going to be active, inactive was as difficult to manage as we've ever seen and likely will ever see. And so just, I just want to take a moment to applaud Josh Larkey because it was tough. It was tough to stay on top of all this news and all the active and active projections. And he was incredible. Our rankings and projections performed better than they ever have. It was, it was leaps and bounds. Like I, it was just like, I would look at the projections and the, especially the upside ratings, which I love on the DFS dominator. And it would just make so much sense. It would just make so much. Sometimes people would say, hey, are you sure Trey Lance should be that high? And I'm like, think about it. Think about where, Think about how this game could play out in Trey Lance's favor in a big way. He put up essentially a Matthew Stafford line in the second half only, right? Let that sink in for a second. So basically what we found is that these upside projections are incredible. And they're super helpful. And we're going to start to incorporate those into the into the, the standard rankings. So you can see, oh, the upside projection versus the standard baseline projection. And then there's a lot of analytics we can do beyond just the lineup genius and the cash game optimizer. There's a lot we can do with these upside projections. So you can see that, yes, I would love to just break down these games from yesterday, but... How my brain works is I'm already thinking about next year. The fantasy season's pretty much a wrap. We've got Monday Night Football. I need Nick Chubb <laughs> to outscore Najee Harris in one matchup, and that's about it. That's that's about it. But Josh Allen didn't fire. Why didn't he fire? Like that is very interesting to me. That he had a complete and utter dud. Not only did he go 120 yards because they didn't need him in the second half, but the three interceptions. I'm just like, what? It's like, what? How? Josh Allen has those games in him. And, and this is why when, when you're debating, should Josh Allen be number two in our dynasty rankings, for example, he has these games in him and these games are scary. And when you look up, he and Kyler Murray have similar fantasy points per game. And so it's just difficult with Kyler Murray being slightly younger and Josh Allen having these dud performances where he's just throwing 
three picks and he's hugely inaccurate. This just, it's hard. Like it, it's, it's hard to not lift the uncertainty quotient a little bit more on Josh Allen. I'd like to, but for now you can just continue to know that it's going to be Mahomes and Murray one, two in dynasty. And I, I just, I just can't Pitts though. Pitts is the story here where he was the leading receiver for the Falcons and he's 21 years old. Like, it's just important to take a step back and go, this is a 21-year-old who is technically a tight end, predominantly playing wide receiver, but he is playing some tight end. It's not like he's not playing any tight end, right? He's playing some tight end, and he's playing some receiver, and he's playing some slot, and there are blocking assignments that you know, for him on run plays, and he has to learn all of that technique, and he has to also learn the technique of a receiver. And this is a very challenging year for him without Calvin Ridley, that he is now commanding the attention of alpha corners week in, week out. So Calvin Ridley being out, I think, has been a a great learning experience for Kyle Pitts, where it's actually sped up his development. And has he delivered above expectation in fantasy football? No. like He's underperformed his ADP primarily because he hasn't scored the touchdowns. His touchdown expectation was much higher given the yardage, and yet he just didn't score touchdowns because of random chance. Next year, he could score 10 touchdowns. So you're going to want Kyle Pitts next year. That's that's some, that's a takeaway. The takeaway is Kyle Pitts is 21 years old, and he is going to be a guy you absolutely want next year in a big, big way. And if you didn't have Jamar Chase... That's okay. That's okay. The big shame was Josh Larkey drafted a ton. I mean, a ton. I mean, of his stacks, one of his most popular stacks, his most frequent stacks in his entire portfolio was the Burrow Chase. He had Burrow Chase Higgins. He had Burrow Chase Boyd. He had diff- different combinations. But the problem is in these underdog best ball tournaments, the Burrow Chase stacks were eliminated in week 15. That's the shame of it. His most frequent stack was Burrow Chase because he did a lot of volume best ball playing. And remember, in late August, Jamar Chase was dropping all these passes in preseason. And his ADP fell into the sixth round on underdog. That's a thing that happened. And and that's why. And, and we didn't really drop him much on our rankings. We were like, this guy still projects to be amazing. He was an amazing college prospect. And then there was significant concern through 10 weeks wanting to ease Joe Burrow back and not ask him to throw the ball 50 times a game coming off a torn ACL that the coaches said, listen, we're going to go ahead and suppress the pass volume. And then sure enough, as the second half ramped up, there goes Joe Burrow being absolutely, totally, utterly prolific. And it just makes sense. They're like, okay, he's established health. He's having conversations with trainers and the coaches, and he's like, yeah, I think my knee can handle it. Let's go. Let's go do this. Let's ramp up the pass attempts. And I think that that is a big, big story from the last few weeks is that Joe Burrow's pass attempts have spiked and their pass-to-run ratio has flipped back to what it was last season. Where I was like, wait a second. This was the team that led the league in pass-to-run percentage in neutral game script situations. And now they're they're like bottom five through ten weeks. You're like, wait a second, this is a run first team. What the what the fuck? 
And then, then just then things changed, right? Then things changed. Where you look up in the game log, you're like, oh, here we go. Here we go. Starting in week nine, 40 pass attempts, right? Through eight weeks, never hit 40 pass attempts, right? Then all of a sudden, week nine, 40 pass attempts. Then another 40 pass attempts, week 13. And then 46 pass attempts last week against Baltimore. And then this week, 39. Close enough, right? 39. He's 30 for 39. Four touchdowns, zero interceptions. This is not a bad defense. This is not a soft secondary. What an amazing performance. Just amazing, right? And they were down 28-17. They were down double digits at halftime. And he brought them back. Unbelievable. I mean, this is what you were looking for, right? This was the hope that somehow the Chiefs would get out to a double-digit lead at the half. And then it would it would have to be all passing in the second half for the Bengals in comeback mode. And that's exactly what happened, right? That's, that was the hope. That was the, the game scenario they were hoping for. And Patrick Mahomes really didn't deliver, right? He didn't deliver. He didn't give you 300 yards and hit the 300-yard bonus on DraftKings. Didn't give you three touchdowns, a little bit of rushing, but he didn't get there. And the big problem with Mahomes was the guys you were stacking with his stacking partners, Kels, 25 yards, eh. Tyreek Hill, 40 yards, eh. right? Mecole Hardman had, was the, the receiving leader at 53. So it's not just about you, the quarterback, your performance. DFS players, when they're looking at a box score, the first thing they're looking at is, well, how did quarterback X's run back options do? And that's why this Jamar Chase performance was so glaring and amazing was that this was a guy that was frequently stacked with his quarterback. So the quarterback hits the bonus, hits four touchdowns, and then his his stacking partner that he's tethered to is towed along with him. And then it's just one of those cold fusion performance games. That's the name of the show. We'll, we'll call the show Joe Burrow Cold Fusion. I like that. I like that a lot. Or Jamar Chase Cold Fusion. I like Joe Burrow Cold Fusion because... The game had, was cold. You saw the, the 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 water vapor from the breath of the players. It was cold, and it didn't matter. It just, these guys are awesome. I love that these guys come from Louisiana where it's super warm, and they go somewhere cold, and they're squeezing the football in the cold weather. And Jamar Chase also, like 21 years old. Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts, 21 years old. And now we're going to have to have the conversation. The conversation's going to start of... When, if, how does Jamar Chase surpass Justin Jefferson in Dynasty? Because now it's like a big two. Lamb was in there. Lamb's not in there. Lamb's not doing this. There's a big two in Dynasty of Jefferson and Chase, Chase and Jefferson. And it's interesting they both played at LSU at the same time, and Chase happened to play with the same quarterback that he has now. It's just all, it's, it's fascinating and it just puts it further in context what those players did at LSU, that they were competing with each other. And you might say, well, th doesn't that give a little a little like flicker of hope for Terrace Marshall that these are the players he was competing against in college? Can't, can't, he had no quarterback in his rookie year. Can't he break out? Yeah, he can break out. But the problem is most of the wide receivers that break out after dudding out this hard as rookies were late draft picks. 
because they just didn't get the opportunity early. They weren't afforded the opportunity by the coaches to have meaningful roles. And then over time, they earn those roles and then they start to climb the ladder and they start to break out. That makes sense. But when a first or second round pick is a a game day inactive, that is damning, right? So it's like, how did you get from those guys, Chase and Jefferson, to Marshall is a assured bust. He's not an assured bust. It's just the probability is very low. We've seen players do nothing in their rookie year, and then eventually they break out, but just it's such a low probability that maybe you could argue with the teammate score of Terrace Marshall that he should be afforded a bit more runway to take off. Maybe. Maybe. Oh, right? It's just such a sell-low opportunity now in Dynasty where you're, you're just selling the unlikely event that he breaks out, the hope of this very unlikely event. You know, it's it's why we are Brian Edwards truthers. Brian Edwards was not at all productive as a rookie, and he hasn't produced this year either. And so now we're officially truthers, and the probability that he ever breaks out is so low. Nikhil Harry, so low. Like, so low. Impossibly low. It's not like Rashad Penny. It's not the same. Rashad Penny just needs to be the primary back with size and athleticism, and he's going to make it happen. It's not that easy for wide receivers. They have to have this it factor of being able to understand the spatial awareness, have the technique, be able to squeeze the football in traffic, all these things that are necessary for wide receivers to produce at a high level, consistently produce week in, week out in the NFL. It's a very difficult thing to do. It's a hell of a lot more skillful what wide receivers have to do to break out than a running back. Like I said, Rashad Penny is not that elusive, and it doesn't much matter. Is he fast and big, and he can just truck defenders instead of getting around them when they're in front of him? Yes. When there's no one in front of him, can he explode through a hole and deliver a long run? Yes. Does he have the size to grind out yards at the goal line and score touchdowns? Yes. Well, he's going to be a fantasy asset, and it may not happen for two, three, four years. As long as he can hang on and stay on the team— Eventually, there'll be a year where multiple running backs on the roster go to injured reserve and he gets his opportunity. This happens. This happens running back after running back after running back. So if a running back doesn't produce in year one, just wait, right? Just wait, especially if he's a first round running back with size adjusted athleticism like Rashad Penny. And if he has a chronic knee problem, just wait for the medical technology to catch up. And now there's some treatment that. Sonny Michelle and Rashad Penny have received that have given their knees newfound stability and fluidity and good for them. So a lesson, a big lesson for the last few weeks is that you cannot dismiss running backs with the requisite athletic profiles and draft capital even once they turn 25, 26. They have to be completely flushed out of the league, released. Sony Michelle was not released. He was traded. He was traded. If the guy's released, that's one thing. But if the team continues to bring this guy back, sign him to a modest extension, even, you know, in a rare case, 
bring him back for the fifth-year option, first-round pick, maybe they do that. Like, we're still not sure what's going to happen with Josh Jacobs with his first-year option, with his fifth-year option. But uh, it is interesting that to be a truther for a running back with size, athleticism, and draft capital is much more fruitful than to be a truther for a wide receiver with size, athleticism, and draft capital. If these players don't break out in year one or two or don't produce at all as rookies. That's a takeaway. Oh, that hit me. That hit me right in the chest, that takeaway. Oh, yes. Oh, we're on a roll now. We are on a roll now. And I was mentioning that I, you know, I was engaged finally with the starter stream show. So I'm looking forward to doing the week 18 starter stream show. And I'm going to be doing more streaming during the off season and just taking questions from the audience. We'll do these dynasty uh, trade question answering shows, right? I could see a, a, like Anand and Dury and I going live and just taking questions from the audience. We're going to be doing a lot more streaming shows that are just free flowing interacting with the audience and just freelancing it and uh, keeping it casual, keeping it casual. Certainly there's going to be shows like the mind of mansion show where I'm super prepared and I come with lots of stats and lots of great questions for guests. That's not this show, (laughs) right? This is just, Hey, what happened yesterday? Oh, wow. And we're going to start to do a lot more of these stream of consciousness shows. And I hope you like them. Jaguars Patriots. Dare Agumbawale actually delivered by scoring a receiving touchdown. He, he got you there. He got you. He delivered in DFS. He 3X'd his salary at DFS. Good for him. I mean, barely. Barely. It wasn't a great play. It wasn't a good. But was anyone really that excited to play Dare Agumbawale at New England? Well, you look up. Yeah, 3.6 fantasy points on the ground, and he put up over 10 fantasy points in the air. He didn't hurt you, right? And those of us that played him, we played him out of desperation because we needed like a, a fourth flex guy, and he delivered because you want that role. He didn't even have the role we wanted for him. He wasn't even the bell cow. He was splitting touches with Raquel Armstead. Raquel Armstead's back. Raquel Armstead was laid low by COVID. Like he hasn't, this was a, he was, this was a COVID IR situation of all the skill position players. We haven't seen a player this damaged by COVID-19 ever. Right. And to see him come back and to see him just be on the active roster was very cool to see. And Jacoby Myers, let's talk about Jacoby Myers, eight for eight over 70 yards and a touchdown. That's 20 plus fantasy points. Isn't this what you wanted? I mean, isn't this what you want in your wide receiver. He's young. He's young and he's getting huge target shares, right? And, and the beauty is, we, we talked about this with uh, Jacob Sanderson. I went on his show and they did this trivia game. We have a wide receiver, mystery wide receiver, who was top 10 in the NFL in both target share and air yard share in 2020. And you'll never guess who it was. And we said, well, yes, we can. Yes, we can guess. And we rattled off 20 guys. Nope. Right? And then he said, I'll give you a hint. It's a wide receiver in the AFC. Still couldn't get it. 
narrowed it down again. It's in the AFC East. That's his division. Oh, Jacoby Myers? Yes. Yes. This is why we look at stats like target share and air yard share because the offense was anemic last year with Cam Newton. So looking at total targets or total anything wouldn't tell you squat about Patriots wide receivers. But when you look at the rate stats, specifically target share and air yard share, the two most predictive metrics for wide receivers, turns out, wow, Jacoby Myers is pretty good. And he went undrafted. And not only did he go undrafted, but unlike an undrafted guy like, say, Adam Thielen, Jacoby Myers ascended into the starting lineup right away. Like, it didn't take any time, right? So he goes from undrafted to starting wide receiver in almost record time. Like, who else did that? It took Victor Cruz a season. It took Jacoby Myers less than that, right? It's just like, wow, that's impressive. I I can't even think of a, a wide receiver that did it this quickly. And now he's just one of the most efficient wide receivers, especially when you look at catch rate. Just on a per-target basis, this guy's catching the football. And if you watch the Patriots, he's making some spectacular catches. Catches where it's in traffic almost all the time. The guy's taking these huge hits. He's coming down with it. He wants it. He wants to be a football player. And I don't know how the Patriots find these guys. Like, you look at his profile on playerprofiler.com, and you're not that impressed. But one thing that you could point out is he shared a field with Kelvin Harmon at NC State, and it it wasn't a prolific offense at all, and if you're sharing a field with another professional caliber wide receiver, the target shares get diluted, and that's what happened to him, and then he wasn't an impressive athlete, and that's how you go undrafted, right? You're not moving the needle in any particular way. You're just good at football, and you love what you do, and then that ends up translating eventually into production. Last year, Tim Patrick was that guy, and he was undrafted. But it took him, like Adam Thielen, all these years. So it's important to recognize with Jacoby Myers that what he has done is so rare and is such a strong signal that he is good and he will be good for many years. And he's a guy that I think, I already have him in a lot of Dynasty leagues, so I think I'm almost overexposed to him already. But he would be the last guy I would include in a trade because I know no one respects him. He doesn't have that brand equity. He doesn't have the wow factor. And no one's going to pay up for this guy in Dynasty. It's not going to happen. But you could acquire him. You could make sure that, oh, and I did this in one trade last year. I said, you know, make sure you throw in Jacoby Myers. You know, because I I had (laughs) learned about this whole air yards and target share Venn diagram that he fit in with like seven other guys. And I was like, oh, wow, I want to, I want this guy. I want even more of him. And now I think I have, I think I have my, <laughs> I think I have enough. But you should try to get him in Dynasty anywhere you can because are they going to draft another wide receiver? They drafted Nikhil Harry in the first round not long ago. They brought in Bourne, they brought in Aguilar, overpaid them. No, they overpaid Aguilar. They paid, I think, Bourne a fair amount, right? They paid Bourne a lot. And he's delivering solid production that you would expect for that exact salary, right? Aguilar, total bust. We all knew that. That was so obvious. What were you thinking, Bill Belichick? But they've devoted all the salary to wide receiver. They've devoted some draft capital, especially a first rounder, fairly recently to the wide receiver position. 
they may not go wide receiver in the first couple rounds. If they go wide receiver in the second round, that changes the calculus a little bit on Jacoby Myers' lifetime value, but not much. He's established himself as the Jerry Judy of the New England Patriots. And there's going to come a time sooner rather than later where we have to look up and go, I would rather have Jacoby Myers than Jerry Judy. He's in a much better situation with Mac Jones as his number one. Jerry Judy may never be the number one in Denver. Jerry Judy may also just not be as good as Jacoby Myers. He's not as productive. Doesn't matter the quarterback, whether it's Bridgewater or Drew Locke. Judy's not been productive. Like at the, at the, When you're looking back and you see a, a player that was drafted in the first round is underperforming for two consecutive years, that's a much greater red flag than a guy who's underperforming as a third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick. There, it's, it's, it's easier to understand. Like, okay, this guy's not getting the opportunities, or this guy was raw. If you're a first round pick, you come in to get the opportunity right away, and you're not supposed to be raw. That's the whole point of drafting a wide receiver in the first round. He's pro-ready. He's ready to go. He's Jalen Waddell. He's Jamar Chase. He's Devontae Smith. You can't argue Devontae Smith is raw. No, he's ready to go. Even we saw a healthy Kadarius Toney was heavily targeted and looked pro-ready when healthy. Can't say the same for Jerry Judy. I mean, Jerry Judy hasn't had the impressive stretch in two years that we saw for those three to four games where Kadarius Toney had the passing game to himself and he was healthy in the middle of the season. I haven't seen Jerry Judy flash that. So it's going to be very interesting to see. It was one thing if... Jerry Judy was efficient this year, but because the volume was so low, couldn't deliver the big fantasy splash, but hasn't even been that good. So now it's like, what? How long? How long? There's going to be so many. I'm preparing you right now. There's going to be so many Jerry Judy truthers in Dynasty. It's, it's gonna be, you're going to have to just walk around them to get, your, get to your seat. It's going to be that way. And there's going to be very... Far fewer people saying you should actually buy high on Jacoby Myers, where I'm more in that camp. Another reveal sound effect. The Jaguars are uh, scary. And we're going to keep coming back to this Peyton Manning rookie year to explain away Trevor Lawrence's struggles. Another three interception game, but may just be a function that his number one receiver is Laquan Treadwell. That Marvin Jones is dust, Chenault's a bust, and the offensive line is terrible, and he just has one of the worst supporting casts in the league. What would he be if you dropped him on another team? I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's very tough with Trevor Lawrence. It's incredibly difficult to decide what to do with him. I'm not going to decide right now. I have him in uh, one league that happens to be, unfortunately... It's a league of you know, high-profile analysts, and I have Trevor Lawrence, but I also have Mac Jones, so I, I drafted both in the first round, and I hedge my bets, and I hit on Mac Jones, and Trevor Lawrence now has questions. I also have Tua, and Tua's just been like such a, such a tease. I can't believe Tua didn't deliver. I'm, so, I'm, I'm shocked. I'm shocked. The, the total was set at 40. And we looked at that thing. This has to be the error of the week in Las Vegas. That there's just no way that these two teams with winning records 
and efficient quarterbacks are going to put up you know, less than 40 points when, when they both are in must-win situations. The Titans are trying to win the conference and get a bye in the first round, which is huge, huge advantage. And the Dolphins are just trying to make the playoffs. They're going to be going for it. And then Ryan Tannehill didn't have to do a damn thing. 120 yards, didn't have to throw through less than 20 times because Tua was hugely inefficient, right? Not only was he 18 for 38, but the target depth was like five yards of throw. It was like crazy. And he tried to connect with Waddle on these short passes, didn't work. Tried to connect with Devontae Parker outside, those didn't work. So we may be in a situation where Tua is Baker Mayfield. Like this is a problem. Right, this is a problem that we see with a lot of these college quarterbacks. It needs to be diagnosed during the pre-draft process that you have a future game manager that needs to keep the ball between the hashes. This needs to be diagnosed. Like, is this a Derek Carr quarterback? Right, because it's tough. Derek Carr was prolific at Fresno State. Now he had Devontae Adams. Prolific, right? But where was he prolific? Down the middle, on these post routes to Devontae Adams. Where was Baker Mayfield prolific? Down the seam to Mark Andrews. We need to figure this out. We need to understand which college prospects are delivering the football on time and with great placement to the perimeter. This is critical. It's absolutely because they can be taken away. Right? Defenses can recognize this and take it away. Say, listen, we're going to take these throws away. We're going to make you beat us to the boundary. And Baker Mayfield simply can't. Right? Derek Carr can't. Right? Derek Carr's number one receiver last year was Darren Waller for a reason. Right? He was his Mark Andrews. It's the same story over and over and over and over again. And if you're a mobile quarterback, it's a lot easier. Right, If you're Jalen Hurts, if you're Lamar Jackson, and you have these flaws as a thrower, and you can't necessarily place the ball to the boundary, that's okay because you can buy time behind the line of scrimmage and let players get open on crossing routes and create separation over the middle of the field. But if you're a dropback passer, you don't have that luxury. And defenses that know how to take away those passes in the short and intermediate quadrants are going to fuck you. You're going to be fucked. Somehow, that's what the Titans did. We didn't know. I didn't know. I didn't know they would have such a great game plan to stop a Baker Mayfield-style quarterback, a Derek Carr-style quarterback, but they did. The Titans did. They allowed, like, you know, second most fantasy points to opposing wide receivers, and you would think that that is because they lack not only the talent, but also the requisite scheme to throttle a quarterback like Tua Tungabiloa, but no, they somehow Vegas got that one right. I mean, congratulations to Vegas. They knew. They Vegas knew all along that Tua is essentially Baker Mayfield and Derek Carr combined. Baker Mayfield, Derek Carr, put him in a particle acceleration chamber, Tua walks out. This is it. This is it. Because if you take away those short passes, he struggles. The bummer of it is that I didn't recognize this earlier. I was wrapped up in the completion percentage and the target accuracy. This Tua, he's turning the corner. 
right? But when we talked about it on the Decision Point show, you can't even say the Dolphins shouldn't extend him because that was the argument. The Dolphins should watch and wait and see because they can't extend him until early 2024. It's against the CBA to actually extend him this year. Don't even have conversations with Tua's agent until you see him healthy and productive and efficient for a full season. Then start having conversations with his agent. Whereas with Jalen Hurts, you can start having conversations with his agent during the season because we're much more sure that he is the answer for the franchise. But Tua is certainly trending that way. We just need to make sure he has the, the pocket awareness. But now it's beyond that. Now it's like, can he develop into a player that can throw the ball to a Devontae Parker on the perimeter effectively? I don't know. We're going to have to find out. And the hope is, for those of us that have Tua in Dynasty, that at the end of the year, that the stats are good enough, the metrics, the advanced stats are good enough, that we can then put Tua on the block in Superflex and 2QB leagues and find someone, one of the 11 other teams in the league, that will see this growth and development from Tua. And he's been better this year. Like, he's been growing and developing. This was the encouraging sign. So you say, well, listen, we all saw what happened in the Titans game. This was a huge red flag, but there's a lot of encouraging signs and the Dolphins have no choice but to extend him. They still don't have a choice. It's not like the quarterbacks in this 2022 draft class are any better. It's not like the free agent quarterbacks are any better. So they still are need to prepare for a world where they're extending him in 2023 or 2024. So that's... It's it's so crazy that you would have this big reveal that Tua is more Baker Mayfield, Derek Carr in Week 17, and then yet not change your mind about what the Dolphins need to do. It's just a function of the lack of talent coming down the pipeline. There is, however, talent coming in 2024, but based on the Dolphins' rebuilding plan, do they want to wait that long? Like, their rebuilding plan has been so derailed and short-circuited by drafting Tua over Justin Herbert that it's really a shame. I mean, they could have they could have solved it by drafting either Justin Fields or Mac Jones instead of Jalen Waddell. In retrospect, maybe that was the right move, but they didn't do it. Now they have this team that is approaching the finish line of their rebuild, and they don't have a quarterback that can win a Super Bowl unless he has one of the best supporting casts possible, right? We all have seen Nick Foles and Eli Manning and Joe Flacco win Super Bowls. We know it's possible, but those are like, you have to have an elite offensive line, a top defense. It's like, okay, every piece has to be in place. And then maybe, right? Whereas that's the nice thing about having a Justin Herbert or a Joe Burrow is all the pieces don't have to be in place and you can still win the Super Bowl. If Tua had just had an effective and efficient game. He would be perceived so much differently. You realize that? It, this game was so damning against this secondary in this spot. It was so damning with your receivers finally healthy, both receivers active, Parker and Waddle. Oh, it's just such a perception shift. It's been such a roller coaster. Those of us with Tua in 2QB and Superflex, it's just been this roller. It's like, been, whoa. And this is sometimes the second-year players do this to you, where you're like, oh, is he going to break out? I don't know. Maybe. Yes, he No, he didn't. He's happy. It's happening. No. Oh, God. It's a bummer.
It's a bummer. Bears crush the Giants. Dave Gettleman should be ashamed of himself. That's it. That's all. But he should be. And whoever hired him should be. And whoever allowed him to stay on for so long should be. And then Joe Judge claiming that there's ex-Giants that wish they were still with the team is, is one of the most audacious lies I've ever heard. And he should be ashamed of himself. But in fairness, Joe Judge didn't create this roster. Okay? Stop talking about the coach. Oh, a different system, a different scheme, more motivation. No, it's not his fault. It's one guy's fault. It's Dave Gettleman. He is the one who drafted these players, who signed these players, who traded for these players. It's him. It's his fault. He needs to be removed. I don't care who the head coach is. If you give him good players, he's going to win. Whatever. Joe Judge is just trying to make shit up to like be able to look himself in the mirror. Such It's a tough spot. And I blame Dave Gettleman. And I think that Kenny Galladay is a buy-in dynasty for this reason. I think he's going to be a buy next year, too. I think he's going to be a value at ADP because it just can't get any worse. Can't get any worse. And teams need to be pursuing Daniel Jones. Any team that needs a quarterback, Denver, pursue Daniel Jones. Two consecutive weeks, Jalen Hurts has done just enough to win. Just enough to win. And, you know, Boston Scott got the touchdowns, but he was splitting touches with Howard. If you didn't play Boston Scott, that's okay. Don't don't worry about it. Those two touchdowns, one of them was from the 14-yard line. It happens, right? It happens. Either Hertz rushes those in or Howard could rush them in. So if you went touchdown chasing with Boston Scott and played him because you thought he was going to score two touchdowns, I mean, good for you. But no one saw that coming. And, and, and Dallas Goddard, that's what we expected, right? Six for seven, 70 yards getting down the field, being the target leader. This is what we want from Dallas Goddard. And that's why Dallas Goddard, you just play the guy. You just keep playing him. You know that he has one of the most impressive talent profiles in the sport. Like he's just, he's the next tier down. He's in that TJ Hawkinson tier. He's not elite, right? He's not Kittle. He's not Andrews. He's not Pitts, Kels, Kelsey. He's just the next tier down. So those guys just keep playing them. And the big question I have is, Will, if, how, will Dalton Schultz be perceived in fantasy football? How will Dalton Schultz be perceived in fantasy football next year? Is he in that second level tier? Because he keeps producing. It's like an unfortunate truth that he's not as physically impressive as these other tight ends. And that is a huge red flag because almost every elite tight end, with very few exceptions, is an elite athlete. And Dalton Schultz has below average size adjusted athleticism because he's only 245 pounds. He has below average burst, average speed, a little bit above average agility. It's not a great profile that you would think endures. And it's, he's just not a player that I would go out and buy high on in dynasty with Jacoby Myers. I think he's done enough that he's athletic enough. He fills the right role. He's in the right team, the right situation, the right quarterback, and he's been super efficient. And at the wide receiver position, you can be super productive without incredible athleticism. In fact, 
we know at wide receiver that athleticism can be a red herring. Not so with tight ends. Tight ends, they really need to be exceptional athletes to deliver season over season. So I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen with, with Dalton Schultz. The conundrum is he's like a top three tight end this year in total fantasy points, right? Fantasy points per game, like top 10. Top five total fantasy points. He's going to end the year with like 80 catches and well over 800 yards. And that's impressive. It really is. But I just, I just can't. I just can't with Dalton Schultz. The yards per reception is not exceptional. The athleticism is a concern. I just, I want to, but I can't. I can't. I think that Dalton Schultz is a sell candidate to the right team. The problem is he doesn't have that brand equity either. He's in that Jacoby Myers situation where Jacoby Myers, you'd love to have a a player that lacks the brand equity that you know is good and is going to be super productive for the next five seasons, like Jacoby Myers. That's the dream. That's the perfect guy to go try to acquire. That's the perfect guy to draft in seasonal leagues in 2022, go acquire him in Dynasty, go get him. With Schultz, if you have him, you're probably not going to get a lot in trade. You're probably not going to have a better tight end. Even if you do, tight ends get hurt, and it's going to be nice to have that depth. He's just a straight-up hold. I think he's just a straight-up hold, and be careful not to overpay in startups and in seasonal leagues next year. What a shame. It's just such a shame that none of these Cowboys wide receivers were able to get there this week. Michael Gallup did kind of 12 fantasy points, but against the secondary with weak outside corners, I expected more from Cooper, more from Gallup beyond just the touchdown. And now we see news is breaking. Michael Gallup torn ACL, which is just devastating. This is going to cost him millions of dollars in free agency. I just, it's a gut punch. And it partially explains why the Cowboys were unable to fully exploit the secondary I didn't know about this torn ACL. Look up and just see a lot of Cedric Wilson targets. Like, what the hell happened here? Well, that's what happened. I just feel sick for Michael Gallup. Oh, fortunately, Allen Robinson was able to sign a mega contract in free agency coming off a torn ACL. So there is precedent for this happening, but it'll cost Gallup at least $10 million. Oh, heading into your first year of unrestricted free agency, you have to take out an insurance policy as a player. You have to do it. Every agent needs to encourage their player to do that. We knew Lamb would be struggling to get separation against Byron Murphy. That's what happened. But this game just it didn't it didn't go the way it could have gone. Like this could have been a 40-35 game and it just didn't didn't play out that way, which is weird because Dak Prescott was efficient. Three touchdowns, no picks. Elliott erased, Pollard erased, but they weren't trying to run the ball in spite of Elliott and Pollard's struggles. Only 12 total rush attempts by running backs. It's not like the offensive coordinator was irrational, like just trying to pound the run, trying to force the run. Didn't do that. It just wasn't effective. This game screams in every way. Dak Prescott, 300 yards, and the win in the fourth quarter. And it just didn't play out that way where they just didn't get the offense going until the fourth quarter. It was too late by then. Where was the Cowboys' offense for the first three quarters? When you look deeper... It's just random chance that some of these drives stalled when they did. Dak Prescott's 
yards per attempt was relatively low. The yards per carry cratered on a play-to-play basis. When you're trying to matriculate the ball down the field without a big play, on any given series, you can have an incomplete pass, a stonewalled run, and then a pass for seven yards, and then it's fourth down well into your own territory, and you're just forced to punt. Or you know you miss a field goal or whatever it is, or you have to kick a field goal because you, you couldn't sustain the drive. And some drives can be sustained just through luck, just through the way that the plays were sequenced. You kept getting first downs. So it's like, well, how does a team that's averaging five yards per play ever have to punt? Well, because one of the plays goes for 40 yards and all those others go for a lot less. And in those, all those other instances, they, they end up going three and out or they end up stalling the drive. So if you're not pushing the ball downfield, you're not taking enough shots, then you have to then string together all these consecutive successful scoring drives. It's hard to do. That's the bend but don't break theory of NFL defenses. And that's what the Cardinals did. And it was successful because you look at the box score and it doesn't make sense how this played out this way especially given the talent on the roster and, and the weakness of the, the Arizona defense. So you just have to say, hey, listen, Arizona came in prepared. They came in motivated, and they had a great game plan against Dak Prescott. And, and that's one of these situations where you do have to tip your cap to the coordinator and say, hey, the defensive coordinator worked around the defense's weaknesses and created a situation where you had to play the probabilities, drive in and drive out, and then soon enough, they're going to punt or they're going to have to kick a field goal. And you're going to play that game over and over and over again. And then if you and your side can have enough big plays, you can beat them. You might beat them by just three points, but you'll beat them. You get a long pass to, to Christian Kirk, a long pass to A.J. Green. Look, look, at the, look at the long plays. Christian Kirk and A.J. Green both had 40-yard catches. Greg Dortch had a 24-yard run. Right there. No one on Dallas had more than a 31 yard catch. And that was Tony Pollard. No receiver had a catch of greater than 26 yards. And so this is why you have to take more shots. Why we want coordinators to take more deep shots. This is why they must. They absolutely must. Otherwise, you're going to get Dallas. This is that's exactly what happened. And now we're looking up and going. What's Zach Ertz and Dalton Schultz value going to be next year? It's like, why are we talking about them? Oh, because the game got dragged into the toilet. That's why. (laughs) Justin Herbert, he's great. To do that against Denver was impressive. But you look up and none of the wide receivers delivered in DFS. Mike Williams, 15 fantasy points, didn't hit the 100-yard bonus in DraftKings. That's not good enough. Keenan Allen, not good enough. Eckler was good enough, 20 fantasy points for fantasy football, but not for DFS. He didn't give you what you needed in DFS, given his salary. The play in this game, and this was someone that Josh Larkey highlighted in our Plays of the Week email, was Noah Fant. And we talked about it in the Starter Stream show that it's going to be the Noah Fant, Cortland Sutton show. And of all those guys, I like Noah Fant the best. If there was a week that he would actually deliver, it would be that week. It would be this week with two of the top three receivers out. Could have even had some Okoye Bunam, and it didn't happen, but it was possible. It wouldn't have been a crazy like tournament play, like just to dabble in a little bit of Okoye Bunam. Why not? I think that's how you pronounce it. It's a great week for Fant. That was the play. That was the only play this week. And 
Drew Locke is another player that has to keep the ball in the middle of the field, and that's where Noah Fant is. I haven't talked about Antonio Brown. What are we going to say about it? We've all seen the video. You just type it in, Antonio Brown, shirtless, Antonio Brown, leaves field, whatever it is. The thing is, we've all wanted to do crazy stuff. We've all wanted to do it. We've all been furious, frustrated, insane with, with, with rage about some slight, right? Where your, your pride is just crushed and you lash out. We've all done it. We've all done it, right? It's just we generally don't do it in a professional setting, right? It's usually only your mom or your dad or your husband or your wife, partner that has seen this side of you. It's rare that your coworkers have seen this side of you. And for those of you that have shown that side to your coworkers, that's unfortunate because it makes them uncomfortable and it makes the work environment weird. And a lot of times you don't survive that. The bottom line is it doesn't feel that far away in the moment where you could see yourself, I I could have done this at work. Or you're at work and you stop yourself, but you're like, I wasn't that far off from freaking out, right? There are these checks in our head that prevent us from acting out in a way that is embarrassing and shameful and would result in a release of employment. It's just not that far. It's amazing. It's amazing that human beings have that check in our brains so consistently and so effectively that there are not more instances of this in sports or on live television of any kind. That there are so few cases where you see people completely losing it on live television. Jim Everett lost it on Jim Rome, right, when Jim Rome kept calling him Chris. Somewhere along the way, Jim, you ceased being Jim and you became Chris. Well, let me tell you a little secret. That, you know, we're sitting here right now, and if you guys want to take a station break, you can. But if you call me Chris Everett to my face one more time... I already did it twice. Better, you better... You can call one more time, we better st- take a station break. Well, it's a five-minute segment. Our five-segment show. We got a long way to go. Well, we do. We got a long way to go. We do. I'll get a couple segments out of well, you before. Well, it's good to be here with you, though. Well, it's good you to know, see you, too. because you've been talking like this behind my back for a long but time. But now I said it right here. Right. Exactly. Well, we got no problem well, I think with that. It, I think that you, you probably won't say it again. I bet I do. Okay. Chris. You know, the Bill O'Reilly clip, right? We'll do it live! He didn't know it was going to be recorded. What is... For credits. I don't know what that means, to play us out. What does that mean? To end the show? Yeah. Yeah. All right, go, go. In five, four, three... That's tomorrow, and that is it. Again, five, four, three. That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. And we will leave you with a... I can't do it. We'll do it live. Okay. We'll do it live! Fuck it! Do it live! I'll write it, and we'll do it live! Fucking thing sucks! In five, four, three... That's tomorrow, and that is it for us today. I'm Bill O'Reilly. Thanks again for watching. We'll leave you with Sting and a cut off his new album. Take it away. But it is amazing that it happens so infrequently that people freak out in an embarrassing way publicly. We notice it, and it goes viral because it's so rare. And it's just pretty amazing that 
so many of us can be pushed and pulled emotionally so often and so fiercely in some situations and not lose our composure. It's pretty amazing. And when it, it does happen that someone suffers a break emotionally and can't contain their anger or frustration and they start to act out as a child would, I just feel for them. I just feel bad. Like this is a not, this is not a stable person. This person needs help emotionally. And I empathize with it because, you know, I've been pushed to places where, you know, I've reacted in a way that I wasn't proud of. Man, I, I wish we could make fun of it. I want to make fun of it. It's amazing that he did that. Like it was fun to watch him take his shirt off and then strut out of the stadium and ask the crowd to applaud him. It was quite the spectacle. Like I enjoyed watching it, but it's possible. I'm just letting you know that it's possible to enjoy watching it and still not feel great for him or even for yourself. If you feel a little bit of self-loathing that, man, I shouldn't be enjoying watching this. I shouldn't be watching this for the fifth time. <laughs> this is, this isn't right. I, I, I need to have more empathy, right? This is not good. I shouldn't be doing this. Don't feel bad. It was entertaining. Seeing that spectacle has a circus carnival-esque quality to it. It's okay. It's okay to go to the carnival. It's okay. He's being paid millions of dollars over his career to perform publicly for our entertainment. That's his job. So don't feel too bad. Don't feel too bad. But, but in the back of your mind, maybe run the thought experiment. What if I was humiliated? How would I react? And damn it, aren't we all lucky that we've evolved as a, a species to this point where we can all be pretty civil almost all the time in almost any and every situation. And I hope you took the Jets <laughs> plus 14 like we told you to. We've had a great run with the betting. The bets this week were take the over on Dolphins, Titans. Sadly, that that failed. But you also took the Jets plus 14 so that it's a wash, right? So we can't win them all. We can't win them all. And that Tom Brady would have the composure to just shrug this off. He's a machine. And if Antonio Brown feels bad about one thing, it should be the position he put Tom Brady in. Because it was a terrible position to put Tom Brady in, who helped to resuscitate his career. So that is probably what he feels worst about. Like If I had to guess... If Antonio Brown feels bad, probably not. Should he feel bad at any point? My guess is it's that he made life harder for Tom Brady, that he knew he didn't deserve that. There's not really many other performances to talk about other than Marquez Callaway. Six catches, 97 yards. This is another undrafted wide receiver. This is the typical evolution where an undrafted guy gets a very, very brief chance as a rookie, and then he really seizes the day in his second year. So you, you should appreciate what Marquez Calloway is doing, and I believe that he's probably also going to be underrated this year. In 2022, dynasty buy, seasonal league buy, because the draft capital is not there, because there was high expectations for him early in the season, and he did not deliver. But what did he do? Like, he endured. He persevered through you know having his snaps reduced mid-season he earned them back he earned back those routes and he delivered an efficient performance at the end of the season 
And he does have impressive size-adjusted athleticism. And he performed well in college in spite of some serious target competition from Josh Palmer and Juwan Jennings. So I, I'm, I'm going to continue to cape up for Marquez Callaway as a value. Not as much as the undrafted Jacoby Myers, but you should be impressed with what Marquez Callaway is doing. And it's a goddamn riddle that the Seahawks scored 51 points and the leading receiver was Freddie Swain with 65 yards. How is that possible? Oh, 170 yards from Rashad Penny. Rashad Penny is now a player that you have to hold in dynasty and in these cutdown leagues, like I'm in an FFPC cutdown league, we cut down to 16 players, Penny's bumping out other players. Now I'm at the point where I'm like, we, we got to keep Penny over Chase Edmonds. A couple of weeks ago, that would have been crazy. It would have been unthinkable. Now it's like, no, you're, you're keeping Penny in keeper leagues over a lot of other guys now because we need to prepare for the world where he's their primary back next year and he's been delivering. He has what we need from a primary back to be a, an every week starter in fantasy football. If he's not going to get targeted heavily, he needs to be a workhorse and get most of the rushing touches and deliver big-time splash plays. He needs to have that speed in addition to the size. If he has that, he can be productive. It can be a great asset in Dynasty without being a target magnet. You get in trouble when you overvalue players like a Zach Moss, who's not been heavily targeted, but also doesn't have the explosiveness. That's when you get in trouble. So Zach Moss could take over for Devin Singletary, and it wouldn't even be a big change, right? Devin Singletary is just a guy. He's producing because he's on a team with a commanding 20-plus point lead, and he's just taking handoffs in the second half, and he's giving you that four yards of carry that you would expect. But when you zoom out on Devin Singletary, it's not an impressive talent. It's a situation-based production. And that's what Rashad Penny's been, but at least Rashad Penny has the size-adjusted explosiveness where you can see him having a full season as the workhorse next year and being productive. It's very difficult to see Devin Singletary putting together a full season as a primary back and being productive throughout. It's just very difficult to see. I can't see it. We're going to be fading him in Dynasty in perpetuity. I'm on Ross St. Brown, though. Wow, right? It's so impressive, again, for day three receivers and undrafted guys to come out and be this productive. I mean, 8 for 11, his catch rate is it's greater than 75%. It's been that way every week. How the hell is he doing this? I'm so impressed. Imagine if he were on Alabama and Jerry Judy were on USC. Right? It just would have been a different situation. He would have been drafted at least in day two. Jerry Judy would not have been a first-rounder. And we would view these guys differently because I look at Amon Ross St. Brown. I look at Jacoby Myers. I look at Jerry Judy. I see similar guys. They should be valued as such. It's just that Amon Ross St. Brown is doing it as a rookie. He's producing big-time fantasy numbers where it took Jacoby Myers more time. But it's not crazy to imagine a world where both St. Brown and Myers are ranked ahead of Jerry Judy in Dynasty. It's just not that crazy. He's awesome. And I just I wonder what happens with Russ. We just don't know what's going to happen with Russell Wilson. DK Metcalf, three touchdowns. He has this game in him. We love it. This is why he was a late second-round pick in seasonal leagues. And, and we were right there with that ADP. We had him ranked in exactly rated ADP. 
He just hasn't been healthy, and this team has been a debacle. But this is why we're going to go right back to Metcalf next year. I hope that, that Russell Wilson's still there, but I think with or without Russell Wilson, DK Metcalf is going to eat. Tyler Lockett is the big question. Tyler Lockett needs Russell Wilson more than DK Metcalf does because Tyler Lockett's not the alpha. So I worry about Lockett in the absence of Russell Wilson. We will see what happens. But this is who DK Metcalf is. This is why you trust DK Metcalf in Dynasty and in seasonal leagues next year. I think Russell Wilson's awesome. And if Seattle lets him go, that would be a crime. Where you're like, oh, is he going to break out? I don't know. Maybe. Yes. He, but no, he didn't. He's happy. It's happening. No. Oh, God.